Well, they do say love is blind and I think that couple may have a couple of little bit of blind spots in their relationship. Be interesting to see how it works out for them. But they're obviously in love. You look, you see it in their eyes. They don't know what each other's thinking. So are they going to be happy? How's their marriage going to work out? I guess we'll have to wait and see. So a few of you today, you've heard we're talking about marriage and I'm sure that there's a mixture of emotions, there's a mixture of feelings about this. Some have probably come in and gone, yeah, I wish I hadn't have come today. <laughs> wish I hadn't invited my friend today. At least it's not the money talk, so that's, that's a good, good thing. <laughs> but we're talking about marriage. And, and when we do talk about marriage, there's a mixture of stories, there's a mixture of emotions, there's a mixture of experiences that we would all have. Some really positive some really negative. And we're going to, but we are going to focus in on this topic today. Some may be feeling, I wish. Some may be feeling, I wish I didn't. There's a lot that's out there for us in regards to marriage. But I do hope and pray that, uh, that as we go through this message today, that you will see that the principles we're talking about the principles we're talking about as we look at what Jesus has to say about marriage, they actually do help us in all our relationships. We, we're all part of relationships on some level. Some of us, it's friendship. Some of it, we have relationships at work. Some of it, it's with our parents, with our, our siblings. Very rare that someone doesn't have any level of relationship. And, and I, I hope that today, that a, as we look at Jesus' words, that you see something there for you today that you can take hold of that makes this relevant to you today. You know, almost 22 years ago, in April 1996, I was standing on, on a stage a, a little bit like this. I was wearing a suit, looking my best. It's not a good advertisement for marriage, but anyway, we'll, we, we won't talk about that too much. You know, the plans had been made, money was being spent at an alarming rate, but there I was, I was getting married to the woman I love. And frankly, looking back at it now, looking back over almost 22 years, I actually didn't have a clue what I was really doing. I love my wife, it was the best choice I ever made. But I really didn't know as I stood there that day what I was really up to. You see, it looked simple. It looked so simple. It seemed so simple. Find a girl, fall in love. Hopefully she'd feel the same way. Decide she's the one. Ask her to marry me. Hopefully she says yes, which she did, thankfully. Get married. Seems like a perfect plan. Seems so simple. But what I didn't know was that I didn't have with me in the church that day as I stood in front of my bride, my luggage. See, my luggage, I, I thought it was out in the car, ready for our honeymoon, ready to go on the adventure of, the, of our marriage journey. But I actually had my luggage with me. Not physically, but I was carrying plenty. 25 years of my hopes, my dreams, my desires, the things that made me me, the things that wired me the way I was, I had them with me. 
my experiences, what had happened in my life to that date. I had that with me. And so as I stood there on my wedding day, I had these things with me. And they were unique to me. And I'm sure those of you that have been married, you've stood there, you know that there's things that are unique to you. We all are unique. We all have hopes, dreams and desires. We all have experiences that have shaped us. So not only did I have my suitcase, but so did she. And we were trying to bring them together. You know, I believe we all have suitcases in our lives. Some travel really light through this world. Some travel really heavy. Some of you are looking at this and going, that's way too much. Some of you are looking at this and saying, man, he's going on a short trip. But we all have suitcases. You know, our hopes, our dreams and desires, it might be around, you know, what work we're going to do, how we're going to succeed in our careers. You know, you might have plans to have, to be the corporate flyer, to, to have that office job. You, you might have plans to, to work outside and to be in construction and use your hands and use that creativity that God's given you. You might have plans for what retirement looks like. Probably not that, but you never know. You might have plans around where you live. You'd have to shrink a fair bit, but hey, no one, no one probably wants to be in that one. But we do have houses. We, all, we have dreams and desires around the house we will live in. Maybe the car we will drive. Maybe what we do with our, our uh, entertainment time, or, or some of us might think we're going to be sporting stars. Some think that uh, some have dreams around what sort of holidays they might take, the, the luxury, international travel. For some, that sounds horrific, and that's their style. They want to stay closer to home. You know, we might have pictures around how we spend our time, what's our, what's our hopes, our dreams and desires for, for what our time, how we spend that together. We might have dreams about what our conflict will or won't look like. Don't use those. You might, uh, you might think, well, you know, I'm going to spend my relaxation time doing this or doing that. I'm not Tiny Tim, so we won't try that too much. You might have a picture about what your family will look like, how many kids you might have. And you might think, well, one would be great. And then they keep coming. And they keep coming. And they keep coming. They keep coming. She's lost the nappy, we put her away. So we all have hopes. We all have dreams. We all have desires. And, and as we bring them together, they don't always look exactly the same. See, also in our suitcases, we, we can carry our experiences, the things that, uh, that we've been exposed to in our lives. Some of them are really good things, some not so good. It might be our view on what a relationship could look like. And that might have been modelled to us by our parents. You know, and, and we all know that, that that's going to look different. Some of, that, some of what's been modelled to us has been great. Some maybe not so much. You know, we, we all have all our times, our, our, the relationships we've had, the upbringing and all this thing, it, it sh- all these things, they, they shape us and they shape how we respond. You know, we all have different worldviews. 
We, we might have pictures of what re- relationships should look like. It's through what we've seen in the movies. It's through what we've seen on TV. It's through what we've seen on Facebook. It's what we've seen you know, online and in glossy magazines. You know, those previous relationships, we've seen them modelled, but we've also had our own, usually. And often they haven't ended particularly well. And so that shapes our experience for our next stage and our next relationship. It, it might be that uh, you know, we've been damaged. It might be that uh, you know, f- physically, spiritually and emotionally, we've been damaged as, as we've walked through life. We, we live in a broken world and lots of us have experienced damage. It's either been done to us, we've tried to endure it, Some of it, we're actually the cause of. Where we've lived, what we've done, what we've been exposed to. They're our experiences and they come with us. Our hopes, our dreams, our desires, our experiences, they come with us into our relationships. Obviously not as physical luggage, but they're part of our story, part of who we are. But I think what counts is when we bring them into our relationship, what do we do with them? Because what we do with them as we bring them in, it actually changes everything. We bring it in, but how we handle it, what we do with it, changes everything. See, most people, I believe, most of the time, either when they get married or at some point in their marriage, in their marriage, they consciously and unconsciously decide to do something with the contents of their luggage. You know, these hopes, dreams, desires, experiences. You know, one option is to take, just to keep your luggage and decide, that's mine, I'm not sharing it. Not because I don't want to, but maybe I don't trust that I can, I can give this over to my spouse. Maybe I know that some of my hopes, my dreams and desires are just too big for them to handle. Maybe I know that if I give it to them, they, they won't be able to handle it. Maybe I know that it will cause conflict if I give it over to them. Maybe there's things that, that I'm ashamed of that are, that are part of my experiences. Maybe it's, it's things that, that have broken me and, and I'm just not ready, willing and able to hand them over. Or, or maybe we, we, we take our suitcase, we take this and we give it to our spouse. We give them the whole thing and we say, Take my hopes, take my dreams, take my desires, take my experiences and fulfill them for me and recalibrate those experiences and make it all better. But the danger is when we do that, we actually turn our relationship into a debt, debtor relationship. So our our relationship becomes marked by the belief that, that our spouse owes us something. We've given it to you, I'm trusting you with that. You need to fill my expectation by the way that you handle my hopes, my dreams, my desires, by the way that you shape my experiences. We see it's their responsibility. And when that happens, usually they can't or they won't fulfill our expectations. We give it to them and we say, can you do this? I need you to do this for me. We struggle with our own when we hand it to someone else, we're placing too big a burden on them. Or we might decide we actually need to bring our different things together. We're going to find a way 
to make this work. We're going to find a way to bring our hopes, our dreams and desires together. It can feel like a bit of a swap. And it's a good thing to bring them together. But as we bring them together, there's always going to be some stuff. There's always going to be some things that aren't necessarily compatible. There's always going to be some things that can create conflict. There's always going to be things that don't mesh together. If you wanted eight kids and your spouse wanted two, it's pretty hard to do the maths where that comes together. It doesn't mean you can't reach compromise. But if you stand there and say, take this and meet my expectations, someone's going to be disappointed. So they don't always fit. They don't always, they're not always compatible. And one of the dangers when we do this is, is we, we, give it, you know, we share with our spouse and we say our hopes, dreams and desires are this. But usually in any relationship, there's one, one member of the, the relationship who's actually a little bit more dominant than the other. And often their hopes, their dreams and desires, that's what happens. And in the process, we actually crush the hopes, dreams, and desires of our spouse. We don't mean to. Just, this, there's our hopes, dreams, and desires. Of course we want to advocate for them. But we can end up crushing our spouse in the process. So, so what does God say about marriage? You know, we, we're looking at this simple series. We're looking at, at what Jesus has to say. And, and Jesus, he actually doesn't say that much about marriage. No, no, there's nowhere that, that I've found that he directly, people come to him and say, Jesus, what does a good marriage look like? You know, on one particular occasion when he does address the topic, it's actually in response to a question around divorce. The, 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 lead, the teachers of the law at that time, they, were, they actually came to him with this question around divorce and they were hoping to trap him. They were looking for a way to trap Jesus. But in his response to the question, about broken marriage, about broken relationships, Jesus actually gives us a foundation on what marriage should be like. When his first followers heard this response, though, when, when, when they thought about what he was teaching, when they realised the implication of what he was teaching, even though it was simple, they recognised that it wasn't easy and they actually concluded that it was better not to get married the end. No, not really. (laughs) So what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? Well, let's look in Matthew 19, where where he's he's responding to this, this question. And in Matthew 19, verses four to six, he says, haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. Well, hang on a sec. What's, what's Jesus referring to when he says, haven't you read the scriptures? We're reading out of the Bible. Well, back then, there was no New Testament. He was referring back to what we would call the Old Testament. He was was referring back to God's creation story. So let's just jump back into Genesis and see what's he referring to when he says, haven't you read the scriptures? So in Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals of the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, 
And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the seas, the bird in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So in his statement, when Jesus refers back to the scriptures, he's linking his response back to God's creation plan, to God's original plan to be seen in and through his creation, where God said, let's make them in our image. And he made them male and female. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. But if we also look at Genesis uh, 2, we see a little bit more about the story of the creation of woman. And we hear about woman being the perfect partner for man. And in Genesis 2, 20 to 24, but still there was no helper just right for him. So God had created the birds, the fish of the seas, the animals that scurried around, but there was still no perfect helper for God, no, uh, no helper just right for man. So the Lord God caused, caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and he closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed. He was pretty excited. This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and his mother, and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. So let's go back to Matthew. Let's see how Jesus responded to the question. And he said, Jesus said this, those writings that we just looked at back in Genesis, it explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, Let no one split apart what God has joined together. So it's a very short passage. What Jesus is saying here is very short, but it gives us a framework for marriage, which we need to recognize, respond to, which actually should be the foundation, the inspiration, and the determination for all marriages. But to be fair, these are Jesus' words, So the broader community doesn't have to listen to them if they're not accepting that Jesus is their Lord and Saviour. But if you've accepted Jesus, then these, this should be the foundation for all Christian marriages. It should be the foundation for the marriages that we lead. So Jesus tells us in those verses that marriage is between one man and one woman. He says a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined or is firmly bonded to his wife. Marriage between one man and one woman. Jesus tells us that marriage is intensely intimate for two. He says the two are united into one since they are no longer two, but one. They become one flesh, an organic union of the two sexes. Jesus tells us that marriage is intensely intimate. It's it's the coming together, two becoming one, becoming one flesh. So marriage is between one man and one woman. Marriage is intensely intimate for two. And marriage is strong when three stick together. See, what God has joined will work best when we keep God in our marriages. And to do this, we need to keep our relationship with him strong and healthy See, God wants to be part of our marriages. God says, hey, I've joined you together. He doesn't do that in isolation, saying, now off you go, all the best, you're on your own. 
God wants to be part of our marriages. God, rec- God tells us that three are stronger when he is part of our marriage. You know, if couples come and they talk about some of the difficulties they're having in their marriage, one of the questions we might ask is, well, how's your relationship with God? Where's God in your marriage at the moment? And sadly, usually it's, it's either on the periphery or he's not part of it. Well, Jesus is telling us God needs, wants to be part of our marriages. Our marriages are stronger when we stay in relationship with him both individually but together. So marriage between one man and one woman. Marriage is intensely intimate for two. Marriage is strong when three stick together. And marriage is forever. So he says, let no one split apart what God has joined together. See, God's plan, God's original plan was that marriage didn't end in divorce, that no one should desecrate his art, should desecrate his creation by cutting them apart. God's plan, what Jesus is telling us as these steps for marriage, is that marriage is seen forever. So marriage is between one man and one woman. Jesus tells us it's intensely intimate for two, that it's strong when three stick together. And it was designed to last forever. But while it's really simple to say that, that that's a simple you know, plan, a simple plan to marriage. We, we can remember that, we can state it, but it's obviously not always easy to put into practice and to keep. You know, if it was, we actually just wouldn't see the level of, of relationship and marriage breakdown across our churches and across our community. It's obviously not easy. So I want to look today at what we can do to make marriages and relationships stronger, whether they're currently happy, healthy, or otherwise. You see, we do all have these hopes, these dreams and desires. We're supposed to. God has given them to us. But these can turn into conflict with our spouse about how we fulfill them, about, you know, we're shaped by our past experiences and that can make it so difficult. We're all unique. You know, sometimes I think marriage can look like a tug-of-war competition. Sometimes we, we, you know, no matter how, how good we think our relationship is, we can end up pulling on the end of the rope. We have one spouse on one end of the rope, one spouse on the other, and we're in tension. We're pulling against each other. It, it might be over the contents of these suitcases. It might be over our hopes, our dreams, it's, our desires. We're pulling against each other. It may be because we're holding on to our own things. We, we haven't shared them. So we're in constant tension because we're each trying to fulfill our hopes, our dreams, our desires. It may be that we've handed them to our spouse and we're pulling against them saying, why aren't you satisfying this? Why aren't you doing this? It may be that we've brought them together, but there's still areas of conflict where we're pulling against each other. It may be over money. It may be over how we raise the kids. It might be over what our work looks like, where we're going to go, what we're going to do. And we pull and we pull and we pull against each other. But what's the outcome of a tug-of-war competition? There's a winner and there's a loser. There's winners 
And there's losers. What does the loser look like? Well, the loser is standing there with rope burn. Or maybe they've been dragged across the line. They've been dragged on the ground and across the line over to the victor's side. Maybe they're they're damaged through this tug of war. Or maybe they've been broken into submission. What's Jesus' example to us of what this should look like? What did God do? God, you know... You could, you could say there was the battle going on between good and evil and, and there was this tug of war between good and evil. And when God sent Jesus into the world, he let go of the rope. He let go of the rope. And there was no guarantee that we were ever going to respond to him doing that. God let go of the rope. See, his example was to lay down his life. So we can keep pulling against the other person, trying to get our needs met, keep trying to hold on to our things, resist bringing them together, keep the tension going, or we can decide to stop pulling and let go of the rope. We can lay down our end of the rope. Now some of you are thinking, I've seen the way tug of wars finish, you can let go of the rope and the other person goes tumbling the other direction. We're not advocating for that, just so you know. We don't want to do that. But, you know, the thought of laying down your end of the rope could be terrifying. It could be absolutely terrifying. But remember, while you were dead in your sins, God let go of the rope. He did something for you with absolutely no guarantee you were going to respond, absolutely no guarantee you were going to return the favour. I believe one of the things Jesus is saying to us is we need to follow his lead by dropping our end of the rope. See, our spouse, they might let go of it. They might not. Yeah, they might take advantage of you. But I'm not sure what the, what the alternative is. It is, is a picture of marriage where we're constantly tugging against each other, constantly in conflict. That's not the picture of marriage that I believe Jesus gives us. See, marriage is between one man and one woman. And that can be on each end of a tug of war rope. Or we can drop the rope, we can stop living like individuals, and two can become one in unity. I'm not saying there's not going to be conflict. Don't hear me wrong. Conflict is not a bad thing, but it's how we do it. If your conflict looks like your spouse ending up with rope burns or your spouse being broken and dragging across into your side... That's not the picture of marriage that I believe Jesus wants us to adopt. So the problem, though, is we live in a culture that tells us that you know, we, to get what we need, we, we, we just need to go out and chase it. We need to get what we can. You know, I, need to, you know, I don't need to give anything, or if I do, I give it so that I can get something in return. But marriage isn't supposed to be like this. So the way to stop our hopes, our dreams, our desires, and our experiences becoming expectations that your spouse needs to fulfil is we actually need to decide that our spouse doesn't owe us. See, as long as we think our spouse owes us, which is what happens when we place all our expectations on them, is that our marriage actually becomes transactional. So it's all about relational debt, keeping score. We did this for you, it's now my turn. I want this, then it's your turn. That destroys intimacy. Intimacy. That destroys love. 
when we stand there at the altar opposite our spouse on our wedding day, we're giving them ourselves. We're giving them all we have. But I don't think there's many who stand there on that wedding day thinking I'm giving myself to you who are saying, what am I going to get in return for that? Because that's not what love looks like. We live in a culture where marriages are based on love. And love is about giving. It's about what can I give you rather than what I can get from you. See, marriage is intensely intimate for two. Couples need to decide. They owe each other everything, but are owed nothing in return. They owe each other everything, but are owed nothing in return. See, this requires effort. It's not easy. It requires an active positioning and it requires an active choice to say, if I've adopted the perspective that I think my spouse owes me, I'm going to stop that. I'm going to give everything of myself to them. And hopefully they will too. But you can't do it on the basis of I'm going to get back what I'm owed. Because that wasn't Jesus' example. Now as we go through our suitcases, as we bring them together, there's going to be some stuff that's left. There's going to be some stuff that's unresolved. There's going to be some things that just in our hopes and dreams, the way we're individually wired and created, the experiences we've been through, which are real, how do they come together? They're not always going to come together. They're not always going to be compatible. But marriage is about two becoming one. So it's about trying to integrate our lives, bringing our present, our past, our future, and so many of our hopes, our dreams and desires together. And many of them will be fulfilled. When we approach it, trying to find that unity, many, many will be fulfilled. But some may not. I probably should say some will not. So what do we do with that? We shouldn't give them to our spouse. We shouldn't hold on to them ourselves. And when we bring them together, it doesn't always fulfill them. So what do we do with that? Well, Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. And I reckon what he writes, uh, writes here in, in, in the, the Bible really helps us to work out what we do with that stuff. What do we do with the stuff that just doesn't come together? And he says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honour. Humble yourselves. It's recognising you can't do it all in your own strength. It's recognising even that together, you can't do it all. We need to humble ourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift us up in honour. Give all your worries and all your cares to God, for he cares about you. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. We need to unload our unmet, our unfulfilled and unresolved frustrations, expectations and experiences onto God. He invites it. God wants to be part of your marriage. He knows there are parts of you that as you come together will be too hard to work through both individually and together. So he gives you permission, even a responsibility to cast all your worries and all your cares onto him. And if you trust him, and if you allow him to, he will actually do something remarkable in your life, in your relationships, 
and in your marriage. See, marriage is strong when three stick together. And instead of inspecting our spouse to fulfill our hopes, dreams and desires and to own our expectations or or trying to hold on to them ourselves without sharing them with our spouse, we need to give those things. We need to give those things that together we can't resolve. We need to give them to God. We need to cast all our cares onto Jesus. Jesus paid the price. Remember he dropped the rope? He's not going to demand that you come and give them to him, but he offers it to him. He says, bring it to me. Lay it down before me. I will take it off you. You can't do this on your own. You can't even do this together, but I can take it and I've paid the price. Our hopes, our dreams, desires and experiences, they can complicate our marriages. They can complicate our relationships if we don't know what to do with them and if we don't know who to give them to. But Jesus helps us in that. Jesus helps us to come together. Jesus helps us to recognize what we've got to do with the stuff in our lives that we bring together that just doesn't quite work. And he says, give it to me. You know, there's, there's some wonderful research that's, uh, that's been released that, that talks about uh, some of the signs of being a happy couple. Now, not that we're necessarily aiming for happiness. We're, we're actually aiming for lasting marriages. But, but if, a, if a couple is happy, it's a fair chance that things are going well in their marriage. And one of the things that it suggests is that each spouse thinks their spouse is better than they think themselves to be. That might be a little bit complicated. So I'm married to Michelle, and I think that she is better than she thinks herself to be. And she would think that I'm better than I would think myself to be. How do we go with that? How do we think about those people we're in relationship with? Does it look like that? Do we talk them up? Do we never put them down? So remember the person you first fell in love with. They couldn't do anything wrong. If your parents had said, oh, I don't know if you've seen the right thing in that person, you would have said, no, nah, they're great. They're the one. See, we, love is a little bit blind. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. See, the person, we need, to, we need to see them better than they actually are. And if we do that, if we do that together, it will help to lead to long and lasting marriages. So if you've stopped to think, thinking of them in that way, make a choice. And it is a choice. You might have some habits there that need to be broken and it will take some intentionality. It will take some positioning. But you can make the choice to start to see them again through those eyes, the eyes of love, the, the eyes that sees them better than what they actually are. And if you want to do something to take your marriage to the next level, pray together. Research shows that couples that pray together, the divorce rate plummets to less than 1%. Couples that pray together, the divorce rate plummets to less than 1%. How does that compare to what we see out in the broader community? Guys, I'm going to challenge you today. Guys, men. I reckon this is something that as, as men we need to lead into in our marriages. I'd be very surprised if guys, if you went to your wife and you said, hey, let's pray together, that they would say no. I could be wrong, send me an email if I'm wrong. I'd rather you try it and get a lot of emails, but I'm pretty confident that if you went to your wife and you said, let's pray together, 
but she's going to say no. And virtually, you can divorce-proof your marriage if you pray together. But see, God wants to be part of your marriage, and that's one of the ways that we can make sure that he is. You, you need to, to decide that you're going to be proactive about protecting your relationships, about protecting your marriages. Here at Gateway, we want to help you in that. We want to invest in that. It's one of the reasons why we have married life events. It's one of the reasons why we run the marriage course. It's one of the reasons why we have a counselling centre where couples can go together and get some relational counselling and some help through some, uh, some areas or check-ins. It's one of the reasons why each month we send out a married life monthly uh, email newsletter. A lot of you here currently get that, but I'd love to uh, increase the, uh, the, the number of people that are receiving that. So up on the screen at the moment uh, is a link to that. It's also on your message notes. If you can't grab those, if you've forgotten, go to the Gateway website, go to the About Us section, and there's a sign-up area, and sign up to Married Life. And each month, we will send you out an email that's got plenty of information. Some that you'll think is really helpful, some you go, no, nah, we're across that, and that's okay. You don't have to read it all. You just look at what's relevant for us right at the moment. Speaking life, speaking hope into marriages, maybe challenging you. But if you're not already receiving that, we'd love every couple in this church to receive it. And if you've got kids and family that aren't here today and you think that they would benefit from that, probably best not to sign them up, but maybe let them know about it because it might surprise them when they suddenly receive that in their inbox. I be- we've spoken a lot this morning about ourselves, our luggage, what we do with it, how, how we process that together. We've also looked at what Jesus has to say about marriage. And I reckon one of the challenges that comes for us that have, have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Saviour is we're actually called to a higher standard in our marriages. See, when the community looks at Christian marriages, when they look at the church and look at the marriages, it should look a lot more like what Jesus has said about what marriage should look like. I believe we need to be examples. I believe we need to be modelling to the people we live, work and laugh with what marriage should look like, what healthy marriage looks like. You know, there's a lot of talk in our community at the moment around what marriage is. Our culture is questioning lots of things about marriage. And as people of faith, we sometimes want to speak into that. Sometimes our actions need to speak it as well. Sometimes we need to make sure that we've got some credibility so that people can't point in and go, you look no different to the rest of our community, so what do you guys know about marriage? If our marriages are better... I reckon we've got a better voice. What are we doing to make sure that we're examples of what good and healthy marriages should be like? You know, Paul, uh, Paul helps us a little bit in that, I think, because in Romans 12, and I'm going to look at the message, a paraphrase this morning for that, because it puts it just into everyday language. But he talks about responding to the culture, talks about how we live our lives and how that speaks to our world. And he says in Romans 12, verses 1 to 2, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, and your walking around life, your marriages, your relationships, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. 
you'll be changed from the inside out. You'll readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you. He develops well-formed maturity in you. Imagine if marriages in church communities were recognized as significantly healthier than those in the broader community. What a witness to the way our relationship with Jesus has changed us. What a witness to the way that that our relationship with Jesus has changed us in our marriages, in our relationships. What a witness to the way that Jesus makes marriages stronger, healthier, and simpler. Jesus gives a commandment. He says, love one another, and by this all will know that you are my disciples. He wants us to demonstrate through our love for each other that we are his people and the world will recognize that. So I believe we are called, obviously we've got to start with our own relationships, but there's a higher calling on people who would say they're followers of Jesus to demonstrate to the broader community what marriage could and should like. So when when we follow Jesus, when we listen to his words, it is simple, but it's not easy. The good thing, though, is he doesn't leave us on our own. He doesn't expect us to do it all by ourselves. This morning, we've looked at hopes, dreams, and desires, and maybe as we've spoken about that, you've thought, you know, it's come to mind for you, some hopes and dreams and desires that have been pushed down or that seem too hard or that have been, you know, crushed. Jesus wants you to bring them to him. It may be this morning as we, as we reflected on this tug of war that you've been pulling and pulling against in the relationships. Do you know you've got to let go of the rope? you're not sure what that's going to look like you're a bit scared you're not sure if your spouse will as well well this morning I want you to do something about that it may be that you know as we've been talking about following Jesus as we've been talking about people of faith you go well actually Jesus isn't my Lord and Savior at the moment but today could be the day where I say I'm going to put my trust and my hope in him It might be, as we've talked about experiences, there's some pain in your past that you're holding on to, that you don't know what to do with. It's holding you back. It's holding you back in your relationship with God, but it's also holding you back in your relationships in this world. And I believe Jesus wants you to bring that to him today. So he tells us to cast our cares and cast our worries onto Jesus It may be you've been through the pain of relationship breakdown and there's stuff in that that is just so deep and you don't know what to do with it and you feel like you're carrying it. I believe Jesus loves you and cares for you and he wants to take that. He wants you to come and lay it down before him. So we've got these couple of crosses here this morning. Might be today you have to come It might be today you have to come and do some business with Jesus. It might be you have to bring some of that brokenness, some of those unfulfilled dreams and desires and hopes. 
It might be that you have to bring some of those experiences that have shaped you, not always positively, and put them down before Jesus. It may be you have to come and recommit your life to him. It may be you come and make a first-time commitment to him. One of the dangers we're talking about marriage is we've all, they're so broad and varied and everyone's got different experiences with them. But there is one common thing, and that is Jesus. Jesus loves you no matter who you are, no matter what relationship you're in, no matter what you've been through. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He dropped the rope because he wanted to have a relationship with you. And so no matter what it is today, no matter what's been stirred up for you, would you come? Would you come and spend some time at the cross with Jesus? It may be that you kneel there. It may be you stand there. We'll have our prayer team and our pastoral team if you need someone to pray with. But would you stand? Would you all stand now? And if there's something that you need to bring to Jesus, would you start coming forward now and bring it to the cross? Would you start coming now? God is speaking to his people. God wants you not to leave this place carrying things. He doesn't want you carrying your burdens. He doesn't want you carrying these experiences with you out of here. He's given you an opportunity today to come and put them down before the cross. So as we start to sing, come, come to the cross. Come and give it to Jesus. He loves you. He cares for you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. Jesus is there. He loves you and he's paid the price. So would you come?